Well, happy Memorial Day. Um, over the last couple of years, I've taken uh, a couple trips to Washington, D.C. and some other areas where there are some national cemeteries. And it's, it is, it's, it's truly um, awe-inspiring when you look at a place like that and you see all these grave markers and these tombstones and you, and you just you stop for a minute just with those words that, that the voiceover from Ronald Reagan said. Th- these all represent lives that didn't get to the golden years. This was, this was a young sacrifice. Like This is amazing that these lives never got to uh, the age that I am, the age that many of us are in this room. And it's, so, um, it's such an overwhelming feeling of thankfulness to realize that someone um, willingly laid down their life for many of the things that we, this weekend, I mean, the uh, vacations that we take in a country that has some of the beautiful places that it has that have been protected and maintained because um, men and women went and fought battles that would never reach us because of that. Isn't that, isn't that just awesome to think of that? We, we, we recognize people that have served that are still living at, on Veterans Day, but, but this is a holiday where we really uh, will do things. We'll spend time with family. We'll cook out. We'll do many of the things that they would have done over and over and over again and that we do really in honor of them because of the sacrifice that they made. Um, it's not something that we should really feel guilty about. It's something that we should realize that we're able to do, and that was the purpose um, and that was the freedom that, that so many have laid down their life over the years, especially uh, through our great nation that God's blessed us to be a part of. So if your story has intertwined with one of those people, I know you feel especially blessed um, and, and, and remember them this weekend, and, and we all do that in the same, in the, in the, with the same heart. Um, so thank you for being here. I really appreciate the praise team. I know uh, they've got some folks that are missing it a lot of times when you deal with uh, musical instruments and harmony and all that kind of stuff, all the things that I don't understand. However, um, there has been a guitar pick that's been left on this little table I use, so they're clearly inviting me to be part of the band. I, I'm, I, that's, that's how I took that. Um, I, I don't know what that, what that involves, but when you really rely on that blending and that coming together, I know... Um, it's always interesting when you, when you revamp the plan, but um, it was a great chance. Thank you guys for kind of adapting what you did, and, and, and yep, thank you so much. Um, worship, is, worship is giving credit and honor and attention to something. Um, so when we do worship here, we, we don't say it all the time, but we're implying Jesus. That, that's, that's what our, our meaning is all the time, and, um, and, and it was um, a really, um, really neat, fun, different sound, and even as we uh, in the service, um, you're going to continue to hear just a lot of the talent that, that God's blessed us with, and, and we just appreciate you guys ministering, so thank you all so much. Um, we are going to begin a series today. Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of the, talking through a little bit of the introduction that's in Scripture, um, but also kind of really jumping into some of the meat that's on the bones for us. We're going to be going through the letter that Paul was inspired to write to a young guy in ministry. Um, it's, it's a short letter, three chapters as we have it divided up, but it's, it's this book of Titus. Um, and when you're here, um, we've got um, in both lobbies, uh, we, I think we're a little short out here, but we have them in there. Uh, we placed just these little um, notebooks that are out there. They've got lines on the inside, place for date and all that kind of stuff. Um, we, do, we do buy these, so these aren't really for like um, taking messages at home so much as it is taking notes during messages and everything. But uh, if you'd like to grab one of these, these are out here for your use. Um, maybe, through, um, maybe through this journey through Titus, this will be a great time to grab one of these, take some notes, and really see um, God connect some dots for you. There's this great thing in the way that God made us that when we write down, our brain fires these neurotransmitters and we connect these dots and we go into deeper meaning and deeper understanding when we read, listen, and write. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that um, when you have a chance. Um, I grab one myself just to try it out to see how it feels and works. And um, I, I've been taking, uh, kind of transferring some of my notes into that this week. Um, and, and, and in effort of that, I've probably shortchanged you maybe some notes that are on the screen. Um, so if you have an opportunity to kind of write a few things down, would love for you to do it. Um, why Titus? Why spend some time in this particular letter? The, the struggle that Titus was, was getting ready to take on, as Paul, as Paul even said, I, I left you there. I mean, it almost sounds like this is this abandoned young guy just really kind of really struggling to keep his head above water. But, but he had one essential thing that he was charged to do, um, not so much the task that we'll talk about today, but just this, this kind of overriding idea of this was a difficult 
culture to live in. And he was going to be in charge of guiding spiritually and, and, and helping people move into a way of living as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, in difficult circumstances, in a difficult culture. Um, you may have discovered there are seasons in your life because of the way relationships have gone or the way work is right now or has been, um, the way family interacts. You, you may have figured out that there are tough and difficult places to live faith out. In fact, the title of this series is Belief and Behavior. Um, where is the point where our belief intersects with our behavior, the things that we do? Um, many times we look in Scripture and we see this truth that we are saved by grace. It's, it's really nothing that we do. It's not the prayer we pray. It's not the good works we do. It is everything that Jesus did. So are we saved by grace and then that's just kind of the end of the story? Or is there certain things that we're supposed to do? Is there this list that we need to keep up with? Um, that was a lot of the disagreement within the people that profess to be Christians in Crete where Titus was left. Um, I, I want to just make sure that you can appreciate the relationship that Paul had with Titus. Um, we don't know as much about Titus as that we know about Timothy and Barnabas in some of these letters, um, but we most likely can assume a couple of things from the way events in the New Testament worked out and what we do have in details. Number one is that Titus was probably somebody, most likely somebody, that came into a relationship with Jesus through Paul's ministry. So he was probably a direct convert of Paul. Paul saw him when he got saved. He saw him start growing, and he, start, he really saw what his life looked like as he matured. In Acts 15, Paul comes up to this thing called the Jerusalem Council. Um, it's a group of people who, I mean, when you read it, you almost want to kind of shake your head and go, this is really why people don't like church. Um, it, it's a group of people that were assembled as a council, and the things that were going on with the church or events that were happening, people would come into this Jerusalem council and they would report back to them. They would say, hey, listen, this is what we believe we've seen God do. And this group of people would then kind of vote on whether or not it was really God. Now, in some ways, accountability, we, we know and we see an accountability. In fact, this what we're going to start reading about today is, is really functionally accountability, the need for it. Accountability is always needed to make sure that we we never should have in the kingdom everything resting on just one set of shoulders. That's not the way that God built his church. But he also built us to look for him and to follow him, but not be the judge of what God's doing. It's just simply to respond into it. So, but we do, we do know and can have a lot of confidence that when this debate came up with the Jerusalem Council, which was, are people that aren't Jews, that aren't God's people, are they getting saved too? Most people think that the person that Paul brought in to say, here's evidence of it, here you go, it is happening, was in fact this guy Titus. I mean, you think about it, what kind of confidence does he have in somebody to say, hey, I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of religious, potentially hypocritical, arrogant church people that are in leadership and I'm going to put you right in front of them, number one, believing that you can handle it, and number two, believing that your life will be enough evidence to convince them that God is working. So he stuck him in a place to where he really had some confidence in it. But then, after this, events after this, he, he leaves Titus in this place called Crete. Now, it's funny, if you, have you ever heard the statement um, or, or the saying, uh, it's not really slang, but it's a, it's a saying maybe you've heard, um, people referred to as they're acting like Cretans. That saying is still around even in our culture today because of how immoral this group of people um, was. To say that they were the Mediterranean version of Las Vegas would be an insult to how wildly they really lived their lives. I mean, this was a group of people who um, really found a way to um, really promote just an immoral sex life um, they had a lot of laws that really were there to protect and serve and prefer the ultra-rich. Um, many people, uh, it was said even of people that lived in Crete, it was just kind of acknowledged that they had people that just lived in their society, many, many, many people that just lived in a state of just drunkenness. Like they just, they never even sobered up. There was never a moment that their liver just ever got a break. 
Um, in fact, in Greek culture, the word Crete was slang for liar. Uh, Paul, even in this letter, he puts it in context this way. In chapter 1, um, down in verse 12, he says, one of their own prophets, and this was, this was centuries before, somebody that lived within this group of people. This is what, how he even described his own people. Their prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And some of you are like, hey, that sounds like the group of people I'm getting ready to eat lunch with this weekend. It's my family. That's, that's who I'm related to, right? Like, that's everybody that I know. It, like, Paul said, look, I, I'm not calling you a bunch of sorry people. You say that about yourselves. You've owned up to it, okay? So this is the culture that Paul has left Titus in, somebody he's got a lot of confidence in, but he also realizes there is much work to be done. Here's the, here's the, here's the primary um, church struggle that he's dealing with. There's two major groups um, of, of people within probably what they would call the church. Now, there's a bunch of city-states that are, that are on the island of Crete. It's only about 160 miles uh, east to west and about 30 miles north to south. I do that like that's 160 and 35, but, but, it's, but that's about how big the island is. So it's not huge, but they have a lot of divided territories. But there's, there's across the island, there's a consistency in two groups of people have formed in the church. One group of people says... Um, that yes, we are saved by grace. Like it's, it's God loves us. So the fact that he loves us and we're saved, that just kind of covers everything. Like really after that, I'm just going to kind of make my decisions. I'm not going to look as good maybe as what others think I should look. But you know what? In the end, it's all okay because it's all God's love. Paul's great fear for these people were is that that this was such an untruth, as, as it says um, in, in the gospel of, of 1 John, that it was so much of an untruth that, that a relationship with God may not have even been in them. But that was one pull. The other pull, the other extreme, and I'm going to walk over here as if it's this group of people, um, but the other extreme is, is that it was, uh, it was a Jesus plus philosophy. In other words, yep, saved by grace, Jesus died for sin, but there are some things that I should or shouldn't do. Like there is a long list of things. In the Old Testament, the law was over, over 600 laws. When it got to the New Testament, these Judaizers, these Jews who, who, who professed to receive Christ but wanted to pull all these new things in, they added, through, through the time of Jesus and after, they added like a couple of hundred more on their own. Right? Like who has 600 laws? Like you would have lost me when you said no pork. I'm out, right? Like you lost me at that one. Who's adding to that, right? Who's, who's going to add on top of that? These people did. They were, they were Jesus plus. And, and both, it's so important to understand that both are wrong. Both are wrong. And, and one of Timothy's, oh, I'm sorry, one of, and I'll probably do this all through Titus, but one of Titus's charges was how do we find ourselves at the place? Where do we arrive at the place? If knowing both of these are wrong, what is, in fact, right? How do we live How do we live in difficult circumstances? Because it's, I've, heard, I've heard the two great commandments um, described as a paradox. You know, paradox is just kind of this revolving problem. You, know, you remember the two great commandments, what Jesus said? They tried to trick him. They said, name the two greatest commandments. They're like, ha-ha, we're going to get him. And he said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love others... As yourself. He, he said it was equally important, equally important, but it came in order after learning to love God. Now, I, think about this. If you love someone, do you have to be told to love them or do you just do it? Most of us just do it, right? And, and, and that is kind of the paradox. Like, are we having to be told God to love you first? Like, if I, if I don't love you first, isn't that, isn't that a problem that has to be fixed? Like, and, and, and doesn't it need more than just a command? See, Paul is already, in some simple ways, in the culture they're in, you, you, you really start to see the complexity of life, and, and, and this letter is going to jump right in the middle of it. Um, and, and, and I hope you're, you're excited about going through Titus. It's, it's really short, three chapters, but, but we want to walk all the way through this. Um, and like any book, there's always things that you end up be, being able to dig into that maybe normally wouldn't be the choice sermon um, on a given Sunday. So, uh, we're going to start reading um, at the beginning of chapter 1. Paul does this greeting normally to all his letters. 
Um, this one's actually just a smidget longer than normal. And our primary goal today is really working through verses 1 through 9. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time has revealed his word in the preaching which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's, that's his hello, right? That's his Lionel Richie, hello. This, like, is, it's me, Paul, that you're looking for, right? That's, th- this is his greeting, okay? And, and I want you to notice... It, even in Paul's greeting, I believe that God's word is alive and inspired. So, so even in the hello part of Paul's letters, we see a lot of needed truth and a little bit of functional theology that really helps us out. Number one, Paul is as respected at this point in time in his ministry as he's respected even now in, in, in our age of the church. But what does Paul anchor it? Does he say, hey, it's me, it's Paul, it's your buddy, it's your spiritual dad. Does he say that? Does he, does he tell him, hey, Titus, I, I know it kind of stinks where you are right now. Hey, I know the party's raging on Crete, and, and, and I just need you to stay out of that mix while you read this letter. Like, what does he do? Does he encourage him? No, Paul himself introduces himself to, to Titus, which, which already, who already knows him. Titus is very familiar with Paul. So if there's anybody that he could skip this introduction with, it would be him. But he does this for a very specific reason, I believe. And inspired by God, what does he start with? I'm a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, I serve God and I've seen Jesus. He's changed my life. Too many times we we jump past in our Christian faith some of the very most important, valuable ground we can stand on. Um, I'll I'll, kind of spoil right now for you a large part of what my overall counseling strategy is many times when I sit down with people, okay? Many times when you go into counseling, you start with a result that has happened in somebody's life that they don't like. Uh, It can be relational. It can be just something personal that's happening in private. It could be a financial crisis. It can be um, chaos at home. It can be a lot of different things. But but we start and say, hey, there's a result. Something has happened that I have rejected in my system of life. I don't like it. I didn't appreciate it, whatever it was. It it, it has angered me, hurt me, whatever. There's a result. So what do we normally do? We back up and say, okay, well, how did we get that result? That, that's called our processes, right? It's, 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 we don't just arrive at a bunch of results without something happening to get us there. And too many times we attack the process. We say, okay, if I change that, well, then just the results will, will be better. And, and, and honestly, most of us are stable enough people that if we, if we just change some behavior, we will see different results. But if you're like me, oftentimes you realize it doesn't completely stick. That's why... We always have to recognize that our processes, our our patterns, all that stuff in life is just simply an overflow. It pours out of our identity, our core identity. Who do we see ourselves as? I had a conversation with a couple um, following our 9 o'clock service. And and, and what um, the the wife of the couple said to me was, was basically this. She said, you know, sometimes it's just so crazy, I don't even have time to stop and really think. Am I, am I a good mom? And, 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 I, and I, I didn't have time to really kind of dig into like the theology part of it, but, but in my heart, immediately I went to this. If, if, if you anchor into just, am I a good mom, one day you'll feel like you're on top of the mountain, and then the next day you're going to feel like you're absolutely at the very bottom of the ocean. But if you're a child of God and that identity overflows into what you do and what you say at home, then, then you won't judge yourself on the mom that you are, you'll just be the consistent example in front of your kids that they need. Like, that's, that's identity level. And, I, and, 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 and I'm like you. We're, we're, we're really the same. We can recognize that in others better than we can recognize it in ourselves, right? Like, aren't you a better advice giver to people than you are an advice applier in your own life? If you aren't, then, then at least lie and tell me you are, and then you can just repent of that later. Like, I need to feel like I'm not the worst apple in the room, right? That's, I, I need that sometimes. So he is primarily a child of God. He is uh, someone that has, been, has seen and has been changed by Jesus. 
Then he says, and, and what am I for? What is, what, is, what is everything that we're doing, what is it working towards? There's three basic steps of growth that he identifies in here. And, and if you want to read a little bit more detailed version from another author in the Bible, from, from Peter, um, check out 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. That has some other steps in spiritual growth wedged in there to help us see a little fuller picture. But this is what Paul says. He said, for the faith of God's elect. In other words, faith, the, the, the thing that was necessary to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a little bit of a spoiler. There are people that I've had conversations with, and, and the conversations are always around the corner, I know. They talk about, you know, they want to really learn about who God is before they decide whether they, they, they get into a relationship with him. Are they going to give their life to him? Our relationship with God is not so different from our relationship with others to where it actually works by figuring completely out who someone is before we're actually in a relationship with them. We need to be in that relationship to really be able to understand the depth. Without the Holy Spirit that God gives us in salvation, without the Holy Spirit, we are so, so, so very limited in what we can understand about God. The Holy Spirit is a person, thoughts, words, actions, working our lives towards really understanding who God is and living for Him. So he starts with, there, there's a relationship with God. Then he says, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Have you ever wondered when you're in the moment where it's so hard to make the right decision? Like, you, you, you don't want to say what you're about to say, but you don't know that you can decide not to say it? Or you're dealing with a group of people that you just want to, I don't know, punch in the face, right? Like when, when you're in these times of life to where it really comes down to a moment where you're, you have an opportunity to really live for Christ and like Christ or not, we, we, we all get in those moments. What do we do and what do we really base that on? Some of us get saved and we hear about this thing called godliness and we go, oh, I just don't know that that's going to be me. But this is what Paul says, and I want you to really anchor into this truth. It's going to be on the screen because this is really something that will, this idea is something that Paul kind of comes back to in different ways. That there is a, a truth that leads to godliness. Like, your behavior and my behavior doesn't just get better because of people's opinions. right? Like, what somebody assumes or thinks or hopes about any verse in the Bible, uh, what somebody wishes us well on a text or whatever it is, like, our, our lives don't match God more because of good advice, it matches God more because we discover the truth about what God really says. And that truth becomes knowledge. It's, it's in our minds. It's our thoughts. And when it's set there in our thoughts, that's when, in a moment of decision, it can get applied in. Like That's what spiritual growth looks like. That's what Paul says here. He's, that, this, is, this is what we're working towards here, Timothy. This is why I'm writing you. This is why you're going to do your job. It's why the people that you put in leadership is going to do their job. It's why we all are going to try to grow and, and honestly just, just look a whole lot more like Jesus than we did the last day that we took time to evaluate ourselves. He's writing to Timothy. He's saying that, that God is revealing his word by preaching. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm preaching or proclaiming. I'm just, I'm just telling the gospel. I'm not evaluating it. I'm not changing it. I'm just telling what God's story is. And, and, and interestingly, right before we jump down to this first kind of functional moment for, for Titus, um, he says this to Titus. He calls him my true son in our common faith. He says this about Titus, and it's getting ready to connect in a really interesting dot here in a second. Paul creates this idea in, in our minds from just reading this that, yes, there are biological parents. There are some moms and dads out there. But there's also this thing that happens when we become Christians that we have an opportunity to be a, a spiritual parent to someone. Um, and and like, a, like a biological parent, being a spiritual parent is, is that we walk through seasons of life. We walk through the tough times of life with somebody. We're there for those things. We celebrate and we console. Um, we, we help them grow. We correct. Um, but we also encourage. We, we really become that for somebody. And you say, well, hang on a second. Ian, I don't know that that's where I am in life. Okay, is there anybody in your world that is 
that is um, younger than you, not in just age, but spiritually? Like, is there someone that hasn't been saved as long as you have? Is there someone that hasn't um, seen God bring them through the circumstances that you've seen God bring you through? And, 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 and I doubt that that answer is no, which means that we all have an opportunity to be a spiritual parent, a leader, an elder into someone's life. When it says elder, when it says older and younger within Titus, and it uses those words some, it's not anchor marks of age. It doesn't have a zero on the end. It's referencing age, older than, younger than, more mature than, less mature than. So any of us are apt to fit in any of these categories. So this is where Paul really gets down to it. He tells Timothy, the reason I left you in Crete, and he's got to feel left on some days. I mean, he's got to look around in this culture and just go, are, are, really, Paul, you're kidding me. Like, you literally sailed away from this island, and you left me in this forsaken place. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. There was a lot of work within this spiritual community that, that hadn't been finished. Paul, most of the time, spent a longer amount of time the places that he was than he spent in Crete. He got in, they got some stuff started, and then Paul had to peel out. The Holy Spirit was taking him in another direction. Titus was left. There were things to organize. There were things to get going. And ultimately, what was needed were people that could help lead others. Um, elder is also translated as shepherd or overseer. Shepherd is my favorite. Um, I, I can never imagine being a shepherd. I, being someone who is employed all the time to take care of an animal or a huge amount of animals that can't retain thoughts. Have you ever been around people who just like, they, they can't seem to just remember the last thing you said? The Bible calls them children. It, it, it's a joke, but it's true. Like, it, like you, you say something over and over and over again, and, and it's, just, it's just gone. Like it, every time it's gone. It, it's amazing at my house. Um, we have really never changed our routine. Like never. Um, w when we get up in the morning, it's essentially, um, most of always, Wendy that takes the boys to school. So she gets up, she starts getting ready. I get up, I put clothes out for the boys, I start finishing lunches, and, and somewhere in between my effort and Wendy's effort, we try to make sure um, they always leave with shoes, non-negotiable. I would say we're high 90s on hair. I don't even ask about where we are on teeth. I, I, I'm telling myself 100%, but they're boys and it may not always happen, okay? So it's, it's, a, it's basically the same thing every day. But it's always the same conversations. Where are your shoes? You know, I don't know. Like, you don't know if they exist anymore? Like, what? Like is this another dimension, a portal that has opened up in our house? Like, you, you just had them. I mean, it's, it, it is the same thing every day. I can't imagine being a shepherd, but, but many times in the Bible, shepherding, leading, um, is, is synonymous. And, and just just... Just for fairness, um, God will use you in someone's life, and, and it will be frustrating. Um, and that's why it's so important that we are discovering the truth that leads to godliness. So, because for us to really love them right, we'll need to know who we are, and we'll need to know who God says they are. Because that'll be the only truth that, that, that helps us love them the right way. Um, he, he continues on. He's going to use the word blameless twice, part one and part two, okay? Blameless part one, blameless part two. Um, it says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. And I know what you're saying. All right, well, pastor, we need to fire you then because we've, we've met your kids. And, and that might be true. But here's, here's the thing. We, we make a very dangerous mistake when we take a passage like this out of Titus and go, you know what? We're going to put this on a whiteboard, and then we're going to take... Um, the high level of leadership in our church, and, and we're going to hold them accountable to this list. Um, this list is something, hopefully, that as Christians, we all are working towards. And when Paul writes blameless, he, he sets the context both times for safety purposes. 
Because if not, we'll jump in and say, well, blameless must mean perfect. He says, no, blameless, and then I'm going to put it in context for you. This is what blameless in a home context means. Number one, it says that, that you're a husband and one wife. A lot of churches spend a lot of time trying to define that when it, when it comes down to how do we pick our leaders for certain offices. And, and, and I can just tell you that the, the basic core translation means a one-woman man. That, that's what it means. Um, everybody tries to figure out what does that mean with divorce. And everything. It means one-woman man at that moment. Okay, So within that translation, we go, okay, so why is it so important? Why, what's, what's the big deal about this? In Crete, the majority of men, even, even a lot of people, that, even a lot of men that profess to be Christians, were not one-woman one men. They were three-woman men. Because in most households, they had a girl who was in a servant role, a subordinate role. She was much younger than the wife, typically. And she honestly was, was available for sex. I mean, if you think about it, in, in a culture who really just says, we're going to pursue sex for the fun we think it is, you've got a lot of men who are choosing to have um, a younger woman there employed, not just for, for work in the home, but to be there for his sexual pleasure. Then he's got his wife who, who is there as his marriage partner, but she's there from a standpoint of having kids to have the heirs, to have the kids that will continue on in the family business and, and, and you'll leave things to. So, so that's a particular sexual relationship. They also had a lot of temples for worship that had temple prostitutes. So they would actually go in in this idea of worship and say, you know, we're going to express some level of worship through this physical act. And it was just an excuse for people that wanted to feel sexual pleasure. And he had these different relationships. What, what Paul is inspired to write to Titus is, is that is so much the opposite of faithfulness and purity. For us in our culture, it would be, um, it would be considered, you know, these need to be one-woman men instead of two-women men. In other words, men that have a wife but then have a relationship on the side or a wife and a relationship on the side and also look at pornography that, that would be the three-woman man version of that. It, it, it fights against being, not just acting faithful and acting pure, but being faithful and being pure. It's who Jesus was in his whole life. He, he, he was faithful to what God sent him to do, and he was pure in that his actions with people and around people were always right. He says, this is the kind of character, this is who someone should be, not just how they should act. It's, it's, it's the merger of belief and behavior. He then says um, this about a father. He says, with faithful children, you could also translate children who are believers. Um, when it talks about this same kind of thing over in Timothy, it doesn't say that, but it says it here. And then he talks about their behavior. In other words, he says, listen, if you're going to be someone who, who is able to influence others and love others and work with others, he said, you need to, to be a faithful and a pure person. It's important. He said, you need to be somebody who's a spiritual parent, you will, you'll invest in them and their life with Christ, but also you'll correct them. You, you'll do the things that you need to do and say the things you need to say to help them see that something in their life is not right. It's, it's called being a parent. The, the age of these kids um, is, is really between young childhood and early teen years. So many times we look at this and go, you know, hey, is this person serving in this particular office in church? Like, what are their kids like? When we're losing the whole connection of, it's, it's about what their heart is, what their thoughts are, what are they working towards? Not just what always the end results are. I'll be honest with you, if, if someone has a healthy identity, you can, you can relax about the results. They'll eventually get there. And then he, he frames blameless in this Second way, this blameless part two, as an overseer of God's household, not just your own household, but of God's household, how are you going to treat others? He said that they must be blameless. Here's the context of blameless. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinkers, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught, 
so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. In other words, um, loving enough to care for someone, but solid enough in their faith to say, hey, listen, this needs to be said. And, and what you're trying to pursue is wrong. It, it's what Titus needed to be. He needed to be able to say, hey, listen, no matter which extreme you're on, you're not seeing the gospel the right way. You're trying to say the gospel was good enough to get you in, but after you got in, it doesn't matter what you do. Or you're saying it's Jesus plus, that, that the gospel was, was, was pretty good, but you could actually add icing to the cake. You're crazy. Titus needed to be the same kind of person. Think about the context that it frames blameless in. Being someone who, and it, it, okay, here's, from, here's me. I ruin, I ruin. It actually says, um, if, you, if you read down into verse 10, it talks about um, this group of people who were the Jesus plus. It was the circumcision party, uh, which is the worst name for any political party in all the world. Um, and, and yeah, uh, it's just strange things that go on there. But, but it's, it's the circumcision party, and, and it says this about them. Their teaching is ruining entire households, is what it says about them in 11. You know when I can see myself ruining my own household? When my hot-tempered side, boom, explodes. I ruin my household. I, I, I just, I blow it up. I say something, and it's not the tone and the words of Jesus, and it kills the spirit of my kids, and it frustrates Wendy. I know it does. But it talks about all kinds of things. It, it, says, it says drunkenness. Some people, we, we, we debate alcohol so much, so many times in churches, and, and it, it's so funny to me. People think, you know, what is God trying to do? Is he just, like, is God like the worst person? Is Jesus the worst person to invite to the party? Like, is God all about ruining my fun? Consider what the, the heart of this is again. What, what, is the, what, what is it that somebody is, not just what somebody does? Drunkenness, any substance, anything that, anything that takes away our ability to make a sound decision based on the knowledge that leads us to godliness. It attacks lordship. It attacks who Jesus is. It attacks what we can do in that moment. When something will take that away from us, and we literally do what this says. In other words, this says basically someone who never leaves the bar. That, that, that's what this, this statement says. It's somebody who gets drunk. They go over the line, and they, and they lose their ability to be able to use sound truth to make a sound right decision. That's the sin, because that's somebody who doesn't give God credit for knowing what the right thing in the moment is and acknowledge the power of God to speak to us and use us in that moment. It, it says somebody that doesn't go out for, for, for gain just for themselves. To, to us, that, that God will provide when we live faithfully for Him. There's all these things that it says that, that blameless takes in because it really denies who God is. Here's, here's the thought that I really would like for you to take, take from today, which is this. Um, from the instruction that we see at the beginning of this letter, and, and, and what I really want you to think about over the next few weeks as we go through this letter of Titus, our to-be list, in many ways, is so much more important than our to-do list. Who we are in Christ the fact that we see ourselves as faithful and pure, not that we're faithful if we don't cross a line relationally with somebody outside of our marriage. We're, we are pure. It's not that we just try to go do enough pure things to average out to be pure. But we start to see ourselves for who we are in Christ, not just the things we do, because on any given day, you may, be, you may do enough or I may do enough to fool ourselves to think I'm okay enough. Or we may not feel like we've done enough and we feel like we're a miserable failure. We need to learn to step out of that. Um, before I went into ministry, um, I spent some time in sales. And, and, and I'm here to tell you, if, if I'm ever on commission, again, as a salary, if you don't believe that I can sell almost anything to make a living, I can sell some stuff to you. I'm a forced extrovert, but if I have a product in my hand that I think is, is good and I believe in it, I can make a sales pitch. But here's, here's the thing that um, made me laugh so hard so many years ago. So there's a guy um, that ran the warehouse at the time for the company that I worked for. Well, there was actually two guys back there. One guy I had known for years, and he was a big softball player. And this was when uh, double-wall softball bats were legal. I mean, it was like a, it was like a legal, legal rifle on a softball field. Um, 
people were getting taken out all the time. These bats would compress and just spring the softball off of them. Um, you had guys that were just, you know, jacked up on human growth hormones playing slow-pitch softball, which was always so funny to me, arms this big and just killing people with a softball bat. So these bats were so expensive that if you, if you had a flat spot on one, if it dented, you could, you'd send it back that you paid so much for it, they would just send you another bat, same bat, brand new, send it to you. So this guy, one of the guys in the warehouse, he had a lot of sports connections and stuff, so um, in, in apparel and equipment and stuff. So guys would bring him the bats, and he would send the bats off, and they'd send a new one, and he'd give it to them. Well, this other guy that worked in the warehouse, um, when, when he was there, he was looking at one of the bats one day, and he said, well, I, I don't know if they'll replace this one. This, this bat doesn't have a real, like, flat, clear, flat spot on it. So the guy said, well, I, you know, I'm pretty sure it'll be fine. He said, no, 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 no I'll take care of it. Now, that's the moment in the story where all the bad decisions began. Um, he was working back there in the warehouse, and, and so he decided he was going to take the bat and, and hit the bat off of one of these big steel support beams to flatten out a spot on the bat. Okay? So just to put in context a little bit about this individual, um, he believed he had a superpower. And his superpower was, if you've ever known somebody like this, um, there were two ladies in, our, in, in the warehouse. There, um, it was Candelaria and Maria, very, very kind, sweet ladies. They had just recently moved up from Mexico and, and really at this point spoke, when I say no English, like the first couple words that they learned were just from like what, all, what we did around the office. Like they, they do some non-functional get-you-by-in-life words, but, but they really never understood without translation what was being said all the time to them. So his superpower, he thought, was um, if I speak English much louder, that, that miraculously in the air those words change into a foreign language by the time they land, land in somebody's ears. You, you know what I'm talking about? So, so he's in there, and, and he looks at them, and he, he yells. He's like, um, cover your ears. This is going to be loud. Like, and he just does this, which, which you'll understand why that was probably potentially frightening for them later in the story. So he then walks over to this steel support beam, and I mean, and with everything he has, he hits the bat off of this steel beam. Problem is, he's got a little bit more of a home run swing than a line drive swing, meaning he doesn't hit it, you know, A to C, he hits it up a little bit. Okay, so, so he hits it up, so he comes here, and remember, these are these double wall bats, and, and they compress so well, and they spring so quickly. He hits the beam about right here, and you know you're always telling the kid, keep your eye on the ball. Well, he, fortunately, he, he did keep his eye on the bat at least because he watched it all the way back into the bridge of his nose. I lie not. This man's nose was like here, right? It was horrible. Now, now he's now saying a whole nother set of words quite loudly. Um, I can write them down for you today, um, but I, I can't say them out loud in public. But, so he's just screaming. And, and I'm, I've walked out of the warehouse at this point. I didn't, I didn't see what happened, but I heard the gong, you know, that sound. And I hear faintly a little bit of, like, nervous laughter from Maria and Candelaria because I'm pretty sure what they, just, what they heard in their minds was, I'm crazy and going to kill my face. Like, that's what they heard. So he comes through, and he's gone for a while. He comes back into my office, back into my office. He looks at me. Are you somebody that people ask you stupid questions don't ever tell anybody there's no such thing as stupid questions. There's all kinds of stupid questions. And when people ask you a stupid question and they want you to answer it, what do you do? I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? So he looks at me. He goes, tell me the truth. You think it's broke? <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm trying to say, like, oh, I, I just, what words should I use right now? I said, yeah, man, I, I'm. I'm pretty positive that one's broke. That's, that's going to need something. Yeah, that's, that's going to need some work. He, he, he tries to convince me that his nose is not, in fact, broke. He says to me, you know, I think it's just swelling. All right, well, let me help you, rocket scientist. Your nose doesn't swell that way and dip in, right? If it's swelling, it's going both ways. So at that moment, I thought, you know what? Maybe I have, in fact, enough medical training to take care of this situation. So I reach up and go, well, let me check. Boom! I just grabbed it. 
he starts another set of quotations that I cannot really quote out loud and, and tell you right now. And, and I'm sitting here the whole time in this process, and I'm like, you are honestly trying to convince me that you're okay when you have to see what we see and know that you just, you just broke your face. Like, that's what you just did. And, but, but listen for a second. I, I tell you that story, not just for humor, but for this purpose. So many times in our lives, so many times in our lives, we're simply trying to live in a way. We either try to convince ourselves we're okay because we're over here going, okay, God loves me. So, like, if he just loves me, it's probably not that big of a deal about what I really do and say and all that stuff. Or we try to convince ourselves that we're okay by some level of list of facts and everything that we dream up in our minds. When really... The incident that happened was just because, and I'm just going to say it, he's not here this morning, so I'm going to say it. If I ever see him and he's carrying a bat, I'll run the other way. He's a moron. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, it made sense to him to do that. That's who he was at the moment. Our to-be list is so much more important than our to-do list. Spending time not just looking at what do I need to do or what I shouldn't do, but considering, like, what have I done? What does that say about who I really believe that I am? This whole section here is written to elders, and, and it's interesting. I have, a, I have a young guy who used to, used to work for me some at my last church, and he's out in California right now, and he's, he's having some amazing ministry opportunities. And right now, he's, he's meeting on a regular basis and eating lunch with on a regular basis Christian authors and major pastors, people I would love to sit down and meet. And, and we were talking yesterday, and, and I was like, holy cow, man, like, what is it like to just have 30 minutes to ask them whatever it is? And he said, you know what I found out? He said, you know what's really true about all these people who were just writing and preaching and leading huge churches? I said, what? He said, a lot of them are jerks. And he was just being honest. Because, again, what we do never really overcomes who we are. It always comes out. And where this letter starts is with just this simple thought of spend time on who God says you are. Paul says, I'm a servant of God, and I have seen Jesus. That's who I am. That's what molds me. That's overflowing into whatever the next step is. What am I for? For people to get saved, for them to know truth and live like God. Why? He said, because I've got eternal hope. Because the gospel says there's a home beyond this. There's, there's, there's a heaven that's much better than an island that's immoral. He keeps going to all these things, none of them ever anchored in, hey, who's who, here's who I am, here's what I've done. It's pretty good wisdom. It's pretty good wisdom. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? Our praise team is going to come up and, and really lead us as we close our service out. I would like for you, if you would, and I know this is a busy season. I mean, this is Memorial Day, and I'm starting a series that we know many, many, many people in our congregation will simply just not be here to hear today. And, and, and I hope that they listen to it online just to make sure that we all catch up with ourselves. Um, I, I would love for you, if you would, just um, make a concerted effort to spend time together as we, as we are together in this letter that was written from Paul to Titus, but more importantly, was inspired by God to be written from Paul to Titus. So as we learn through this, we can talk about this. Um, the last time we went through a book study, um, a few months ago, I had people that called about different topics and wanted to meet. Um, one of the things that I, I probably would kind of like to do over the next several weeks that we're doing this is set up, you know, like a lunchtime one week and then maybe another time during the week to where if anybody would, let's like say, hey, what's, what's some more of the stuff that doesn't make the, the sermon time. There's, there's tons of notes um, that I've, I've written down, not because I'm a genius, because we've just studied and, and written notes down, and, and it all doesn't um, come into this moment of, of message. But there's a lot of truth in this. A lot of us live through times and in times and with people and at places that it's just not always easy and simple in our minds to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower. Whether that's a moment, a confrontation, or a whole long season. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's literally the place that you have as your mailing address called home. But there is truth that will lead us to live the lives that God has called us to. 
starting place is not in what should I do. The starting place is who am I? And being confident, not with the question of who am I, but as this song sings, who I am. That's a big step in your Christian life. To spend time going, okay, God, who do you say that I am? And taking that as your belief. And so deep into your belief that you see it overflow where it meets your behavior. The things you do, the things you say. Same is very true for me. If you find yourself at a place like Paul introduced spiritual growth and needing to begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about how to do that. It starts with belief in Jesus and giving our lives to Him. You don't, you don't come in right and all-knowing into the party, into the family of God. You come in like everybody else does, in need. It's where dependency starts for us on, in God and what He does. We'd love to talk to you about how that begins. You can begin that just in prayer, asking God to be saved, asking forgiveness, just claiming in, in, in your words to Him, I believe in Jesus. He did everything for me to be saved and I believe it and God you, you're giving me the grace and ability to believe it because it's not happening in front of my face right now at the moment but I trust whether you check one of our blue cards and say I became a Christian today I got saved or you come up and tell us we, we ask you please please trust us enough to celebrate that with you we won't, we won't have a party publicly but we will encourage you we'll, we'll talk to you about steps you can take to grow but we want to see you begin in a relationship with Jesus right if you already know him we want you to, to do the same things that I want to do for myself. We want you to live right. And that's what we're working towards as people. To understand the truth of what we need to know. To take this first step forward. God, thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for letting us worship you and sing out to the truth of who you are. Help us to sing now. Believing the words that we sing is really accurately who, God, you are, what you say, and then who we are. Lord, let this song that we lift up find your ears. And Lord, be found worthy. If there's anyone that needs to pray, I pray that we, are have, we have an opportunity that they will feel liberty to come up front and be prayed over, be prayed with. Lord, that someone here cares about them, whether they know the details of everything that's going on or not. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing? This area up front will be open as we pray.